All right. We are in Romans chapter 6 today. If you want to find a Bible, uh, go ahead and grab one and, and open there. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one that looks just like this in the pew by you. Uh, it is on page 942. That's where we'll be. we will be today. It's an interesting thing. Um, I've been in a lot of places, talked to a lot of people, been to a lot of funerals. And, uh, and in all those times, I don't know that there's very many funerals that have gone by where amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that... Boy, can you keep going? I once was lost. I'll stop you there. We could keep going. It's, it's an incredible, it's one of, in fact, there's a book about how it's America's favorite song, our most popular song. It's an interesting song, isn't it? That whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, Amazing Grace is a song that you know. But have we really, really considered what it means to say you have been saved and you are a wretch? Like that's an interesting statement for a person who doesn't believe in Jesus to make, isn't it? I was a wretch, and you saved me. It might be a little bit uh, disconcerting for those of you who are Christians to say that. But the Bible is pretty clear that there is a sense in which sin has captured the entire world. Every single one of us is touched by the brokenness in the world. And that all of that brokenness, and we can list, you could list all of your sins and all of the sins of other people around you. Usually we know those better than any others, right? But uh, all, the, all the sins in the world, all of that stuff is going to be captured and brought up for judgment before God Almighty. And one of the messages of Christians, one of the messages of Scripture, in fact, the very thing that Jesus is calling forth is he's calling us to repent, to turn toward him, to change, to experience his full forgiveness. And one of the primary ways that Christians throughout the centuries have laid claim to that power that is found in Jesus is through this practice called baptism. And we've been going over baptism for the past three, this is the third week, we have two more weeks beyond that. Five weeks in baptism might seem like a lot for something that is so simple in terms of a process. You get wet, right? End of sermon. But the scriptures have so much more to say about what God wants to do in your life. And there's so much complexity and richness in this practice called baptism. I love that God chooses things that are simple in our eyes to communicate deep things to us. And so we've talked about several of these things. And I'll put up the list here once I get this thing going. We talked about the missional component of baptism. And we use Jesus to talk about it. Jesus goes into the water and he comes back up again, not because he has sins that he needs to repent of, not because he needs to turn himself towards God, but because the mission of his life prior to this was devoted to his family, to being a carpenter, be, you know, being a good Jew, those kinds of things. But now through baptism, he has a new experience, a new mission in life. Now his mission is directed toward declaring the greatness of God, declaring the coming of God, declaring the kingdom kingdom of God. This brings forward salvific, which is just a fun word to say. That's just fun. Uh, Salvific uh, implications of baptism, that, that there's a sense in which we are forgiven of our sins 
through this process called baptism. Let me throw up a verse that we talked about last week. This is kind of a little bit long, I know, but um, hopefully it's visible to you. Colossians chapter 2 highlights this. It says, When you were buried in baptism in which you were raised up through your allegiance to the power of God who raised him from the dead, you were dying. This is kind of a plural, y'all. Y'all were dying and y'all's trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. But y'all with him are made alive as he graciously forgives all of your trespasses, erasing the decree of your debt which were against you, lifting it up and nailing it to the cross. Right? That's all good news. We see in this connection or in this text and the connection between baptism as this kind of burial and resurrection moment that creates a freedom from sin. So that we can say with Titus, saved, we are saved through the washing of rebirth, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, so that we might be heirs of eternal life. Thus we see in baptism that all of the victories that Jesus had in his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all of his victories over the devil, over sin, over death, all of those victories are now imputed, given to us. Christ's victories are now my victories, and I can declare something powerful. I can declare that I have been forgiven for all that I have, been, that all I have done. When I did that myself, I was seven years old, and I meant it as much as any seven-year-old can mean anything, right? And I like to think about that for a moment because part of the impulse of this, of this series has been for you, many of you who made those declarations, whether it was a prayer or a baptism or however you want to locate it, you made a declaration of faith somewhere in the past, but your baptism happened probably in the past. And what I'm asking you to do is to remember your baptism. That it wasn't so, something that we're supposed to do and then forget about, but rather it's something that we're supposed to do and it was supposed to transform you so that now you are a different kind of person. So I can say that about God's grace that when I was seven years old and I decided I wanted to follow Jesus's and I decided I wanted to step in those waters and I did so, God knew my black little seven-year-old heart in the present, right? And you know seven-year-olds, it's a black little heart, isn't it? Yes, it is. And he knew all that I had done up to that point. And looking at my past and looking at my present, the God who knows everything from my very first moment to my very last moment says, you're forgiven. But let's think about that for a moment. Because if he says I'm forgiven for what was past and he could see that, wouldn't he also know what I was going to do? He knew that there was 30 years of betrayal in his future, right? Now, this is incredible to me if you think about it for a second, because if you met somebody new today, and that person says, I'm going to be your best friend, like you do when you're seven years old, right? <laughs> Let's be friends. And you said, oh man, I like this person. Let's be friends. But if suddenly in that handshake or that hug or that high five or whatever it is that cemented your covenant of friendship with that seven-year-old, whatever it is, if you had that moment of insight to know that that new friend of yours will betray you 37 times over your friendship, would you continue to be friends with them? Or would you cut them off and say, no, that's not a trustworthy person? But God, all-knowing in his grace, looked at you in that moment, knowing your past, knowing your present, and indeed also knowing your future, still has the will to say, you are my son, you are my daughter. That is how big grace is. 
That is how big this message is. That he lifted out of the midst of you all of your treachery and sin. All of the times that we turned away from God, he's lifted that up and removed that. And here we see it's attached in this moment, this moment we call uh, baptism. And this thing is not working. Sorry, man, I almost hit you with that. That was unintentional. All right, so we move into a new kind of question then. If we see all this and we know the immense grace of God and we can say, oh man, God in his infinite love has forgiven all that I've done and God in his infinite love has forgiven in many ways who I am even right now and God in his infinite love knows I'm about to make a whole lot of mistakes for the rest of my life and he is prepared to forgive all of that stuff. Does that then mean that I should just not worry about sin and just keep on doing it because every time God forgives me, right, it should Shows his immense grace. If you forgive your children over and over again and never punish them, they're going to say, you are the nicest parent in the world, but you're also going to have wretched children, right? Yeah? There was a few too many amens there. <laughs> Some experience, maybe. Been there. Let's turn in our Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 6, as I told you to earlier, because we see this at work. Paul asks the same rhetorical question. He says, if baptism is so powerful, like if, if our conversion, if our grace that we experience in God is so great, why not just keep on sinning? Why worry about that kind of thing? Because it doesn't really even matter anymore. God's going to forgive it anyway. That's what he's asking here. Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace can abound? And the answer is, of course, yes. No, I'm just kidding. But haven't all of us said yes at one time? Let, walk with me for a second. How many of you all have done something like this? Boy, I know I shouldn't do that thing. But man, I really want to do that thing. I know Jesus doesn't want me to do that thing, but Jesus is also stuck because he's full of grace and love and will forgive me if I do that thing. So I guess I'll do that thing. Can I get a witness? Anybody, anything like that? Like, I, maybe I'm the worst person in the room, but that is definitely a process of some type that has gone through my brain. Right? This, is, this question that Paul asks here is the question that every single believer has asked or committed at one point in time, which is why if you're not a Christian here today and you say Christians are full of hypocrites, every Christian in this room says, amen, you got me, you nailed me to the wall, I'm definitely a hypocrite, right? We've definitely made these mistakes, but Paul wants to point out, listen, I understand that we make mistakes along the road, but we need to recognize that once we were buried in baptism, sin died with us. And so every time we step into sin, every time we do something against the will of God, we're actually moving in rebellion, not only against God, but against who you are. Because God has transformed you. So now you are acting unnaturally in the world, which is what produces guilt in us. Why do we feel bad about things that we didn't used to feel bad about before? Why? Because God has begun the work to sanctify, purify, and make you holy so that your natural inclinations become more and more toward what is right and less and less toward what is wrong. God is doing this work in you. And so Paul says in verse 2, if you look at Romans 6, verse 2, he says, no. In fact, some of you have exclamation points. It's not even exclamation. It's just a flat statement. No. The answer is no. 
How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Don't you know that we who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk now in a newness of life. Now, I hope that you hear between the two verses that we read, two sections we read from both from uh, Romans 6 and Colossians 2, I'll put them both up here, how similar they are. There's a lot of similarity. They both use similar phrases that they're buried with him by baptism into death. And we are raised just as Christ Jesus, right? You have that buried in baptism, raised in Christ Jesus. Very similar in what they are after here. So there's a lot of overlap between these two texts. And I want you to see the parallels between these two texts. The first parallel we see is sort of baptism by immersion, right? You have Jesus who dies, he's buried, he comes again. Very simple. Both Colossians and Romans depict this. We who believe, who are ready to put our allegiance in Christ, we also, just like Jesus, are buried and raised again. We see that there is an identification with the story of Jesus just as Jesus was buried, so we are buried. In fact, we used to sing this saccharine song, uh, now I belong to Jesus, Jesus belongs to me. Right? As soon as somebody would be baptized, they'd go under the water, they'd come back up again, and the whole crowd would, back in the day, anyway, I don't know that they do it so much anymore. Um, I'm back there, so I don't know what y'all do out here, actually. <laughs> I have no idea what happens. But uh, anyway, you know, that person would come up from the water and be like, now you're a Christian. Like, now you belong to Jesus. The whole congregation would declare in song a moment of identification. You now have a new Lord. You now belong to somebody new. You now have a new forgiveness. You now have a new freedom, not just by identifying with Jesus, but also by participating with Jesus. We are buried and die to sin. We rise up to a newness of life. And I hope you see that there's a little bit of a difference between Colossians and Romans in that Colossians focuses on the past, the freedom from our sin, the freedom from death, the freedom from the power of Satan who is no longer our Lord and Master. But now we are directed by Romans focusing on a now, a new kind of, a new way of life, that new uh, way of life that is formed after Christ's likeness so that both of these great graces are activated in this practice we call baptism. He continues on in verses 5 and 6, if you want to check those out here with me. Um, verses 5 and 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall be certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that the old self, our old self, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Notice all the united language that, we use, that he uses there. United, united. We're united in death. We're united in life. This is participation language. This is language that is, that is big, right? Because we ask the question, what is the Christian life all about? Is it really just about us being good little boys and girls and not doing anything wrong, right? Is it all about just me getting to heaven and not going to hell? Like, what is the Christian life all about? I dig the way Paul puts it in Philippians 3. When Paul, like, he's, he's kind of going on and he gets to this moment where he just, it feels like he explodes with his own revelation. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. To participate in his sufferings. That I might become like him in his death. And somehow attain the resurrection 
of the dead. Which is to say that the goal of the Christian life is to merge our lives onto the life of God. Isn't that what Paul is saying? Paul says, I want to know Jesus Christ. So how am I going to go about knowing Jesus Christ? I'll go about knowing Jesus Christ by participating. I will suffer as he suffered. I will love as he loves. I will move as he moves. I will act as he acts. I will mold my own life and lay it on top of his so that what Jesus does, I do. So that in my participation with him, I begin to walk in that newness of life that he has now opened up and revealed to me. Paul says, I want to know Christ. How am I going to know Christ? Well, I'm going to begin asking the question, how would Jesus respond to this? How would Jesus act like this? How Every time that we move in love, right, we begin to move in in Jesus and participate in the gospel so that we do this every day, that when someone is cruel um, or unkind or a jerk or takes advantage of you, we begin to act as Jesus would act, not as we would act because we have a new disposition. We are becoming like him. And I dig this because this is so much bigger than just going to heaven. It is so much bigger than just being a good person. It says that God wants to fold you into his very life. That God who made you in his image is now making it possible for you to bear out his image. We call this union. Union with God. God wants so much more than obedience. God wants participants. And that's crazy. Because y'all are terrible participants. So am I, right? That takes us all the way back, doesn't it? Grace kind of constantly pushes us to look back. So we look back and say, oh, that takes us back to, oh, the, the baptism piece where I was forgiven of my sins. And that includes this moment now. And God's grace is now calling me forward. And this is really quite scandalous about the Bible. If I can draw just a, a modern parallel, because we hear a lot about Islam today. Very large religion. Important, big uh, as you well know, or as you might know, Islam has a, has a subset where we call it Muslim, right? Islam is the religion, Muslim is the name. Both of these are derived from the same Arabic word, which means to surrender or to submit. So a Muslim literally takes on the name that says, I submit to God. Okay? You with me? Yeah. All right. Christians, we actually didn't pick our name. Did you know that? Remember that? We actually got called Christians. It was an insult in Antioch. They're like, oh, look at those Christians. Ooh. That's the sound they made, too. Uh, uh, they're, they're Christians, and what that meant literally was sort of like little Christ or imitators of Christ. People were trying to be like this Christ figure. They're Christians, right? And so what do you have in these two different words? You have two different perspectives about even who God is. One is to say that we are servants submitting to God, and we wouldn't disagree with that necessarily, but there's a, something much bigger and broader and more beautiful that is happening in Jesus Christ because not only do we see the sense of need to submit to Jesus Christ, but we see something more than that. Not only does God want you to submit to him, but he also wants to call you friend. Remember that? Jesus says, I don't call you slaves or servants anymore, because slaves or servants just do what they're told. They don't know the business. They don't know the plans. But what is God doing throughout the scriptures? you got a whole book of God's unfolding plan through human history to bring about the redemption of the ages in his son. That is so much bigger, so much brighter, so much more beautiful than anything we can even conceive of. And every time we try to rip it off through another religion, it pales in comparison. Jesus is calling you to something bigger and greater than just servanthood. He's calling you to friendship. 
He's calling you to participation. He's calling you to union, which is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5, he says, you're a treasure in this piece of like leftover Tupperware that's been stuck in the back of the fridge. God took that piece of Tupperware out. It was full of mold and nastiness. He washed it out. It's still kind of Tupperware, you know. It hasn't changed its form. It's still the thing you found in the back of the fridge. And so what does God plan to do with it? Not throw it in the trash or recycle it. Like, instead, he puts his most pre- precious possession, his most treasured thing inside of you. Gospel. Grace. Life. Forgiveness, mercy, faithfulness, purity, love. Imagine a person that shines with that much character and virtue. That is what we're walking towards, brothers and sisters. That is what we're walking towards. And so I want to encourage you to do two things. The first thing is to spend five minutes every day just beating yourself to a bloody pulp for your sin. Just feel as guilty as you can. Right? And then let it all go. Let it all go. And recognize the immensity of God's grace and mercy. And say to yourself, you know, that thing that I did that I shouldn't have done, that I knew God was going to forgive me for, yeah, I was right, he's going to forgive me for. But what am I going to do tomorrow? I'm not going back. I'm moving forward. I'm cutting off those things that have held me back. I'm cutting off those things that are pulling me down. I'm cutting off those things that I feel regret for and shame for. I'm going to let those things go. And instead of holding on to those things, I'm going to move forward in the freedom of Christ and walk in the newness of life. I want to know Christ And so I'm going to fix my eyes on him. I want to know Christ, so I'm going to participate in his sufferings. And when someone treats me like garbage, I'm going to think to myself, oh, that's right, I'm carrying a cross. People treat people like garbage when they carry crosses, right? I mean, like we're going to begin to think of how this new life is enacted in every moment of every day. So that when you're out on your week, you become the person who shines with character. That people look at you and say, man, that's a different kind of person. That, 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 that guy or that gal, they're, they're weird. Because in verse 8, look at verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we will believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death has no dominion over him, for death For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives toward God. And so too with us, right? So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive. Alive to God in Christ. So let not sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. So what we see here. What we see here is that Paul's describing baptism's power as not just a moment of past salvation, but a moment of past death and resurrection that now creates a person who has been resurrected and is now walking in a new kind of life. And as I say to you, I think we need to spend you know, five minutes a day just kind of 
recognizing, reckoning with, getting right with God because of what we have done, letting that go and beginning to walk in that newness of life and saying, okay, I felt defeat yesterday. How can I walk in victory today? What changes do I need to make? What do I need to stop listening to? What do I need to stop watching? Where do I need to stop going? Those kinds of questions that we begin to ask ourselves when we look at something shameful and we decide we want to move forward. But one of the things we also have to recognize is that this takes time. It takes time. That God began a work when I was seven years old, and he's only begun it at 37, right? That there is so much more that I have to work on, and so much more that I have to perfect, and so much more I have to get better at. There's so much that God wants to do, and it will take a lifetime. In fact, I've become convinced that this is why eternity exists, because it will take eternity to reach perfection, and so God has, did, did, he has, he has built into our, into our existence hope for eternal life made possible in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that we can enter into that life and experience his perfection as he begins to work and mold and chip away at us. There are too many Christians in this room right now who are beating themselves up about sins in the past that God has washed away, but also who continue to beat themselves up because they aren't getting far enough along. And what I want to say to you is being a Christian is a lot like surgery. Yeah, that was not a great way to start, was it? Because that kind of stinks. But as a metaphor, let's just roll with it for a second. Because what happens in surgery, what happens when you go to the doctor's office? You make a choice. You're like, I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to get checked out. I'm going to maybe fast and not eat or whatever it is that, ha- whatever procedure has to happen. But once you get into the hospital, you're kind of like, well, I just sit here until they put me out, right? And then I wake up. And it's all done by God, right? There's so much of this that is done by God that we have no power over. Mo- most of what we do is that 5% of walking towards God and saying, God, I am just barely making it. Do something with this mess. Anybody? Do something with this mess. And what I want to tell you as somebody who has walked a little bit of this way, would just say that it, God doesn't move at our pace. He moves slow. That habits and sins and things that abide in us are usually really deep. And God chips away at it over the years. And what you need to have is some grace for yourself. You need to have some mercy on yourself too. Because God is working on those things, right? There is a point in which we are participating with God's grace. We are stepping out and saying, God, do something with this mess. And God steps in and says, okay, let me get to work. Which tells us again, how immense is God's grace? How big is it that he's willing to have patience with us for years and years as we work on perhaps even the same sin? Perhaps some of you today are dealing with the same sin you've been dealing with for a decade and you only feel like you've taken a baby step forward. Man, that baby step is victory. That baby step is victory. Now it's time for another baby step. All right? Are you with me? Do you see how these two things sort of weave together? God calls us to participate. He doesn't say you can just sit it out, I'm going to do it all. No, he says you need to take a step toward me and I'll do the rest, right? You got the five, I've got the 95. That's the immensity of God's grace, but don't you dare forget that 5%. Because Paul's warning here is that you can take grace for granted. And that is sort of like you can take grace for granted, for granted, for granted, for granted, but eventually you're going to end you're going to kind of walk off that cliff. You know what I'm saying? Like, there is an end to the grace. 
And so Paul is saying, do we continue in sin? No, we can't continue in sin. You've died to sin. You are a new resurrected entity. You are brand new. And so because you have been made new in Jesus Christ, you can't go back to the old ways. It's unnatural. It's unsafe. It will lead you back to where you were. And the judgment of God will fall upon you whether you got wet or not. Because what we learn is that it's not the water, it's the conscience. And so God makes a call to us through the scriptures that we are to recognize his mercy, his grace, and we are to respond to it. We want to know Christ. And if we want to know Christ, then we must participate with Christ. I love the way that Hebrews kind of holds both of those things in tension. It holds our participation, and it holds God's grace. It holds them kind of together and pulls them together. But I'm drawn to this verse as we think about uh, and remember our baptism, thinking back to how God has forgiven us from all our sins, but also thinking forward to now, remembering our baptism, remembering God's grace. What is it now for me to take a step in a newness of life? What does that look like for you this week? What does that look like for you this week to take the next step? Because the Holy Spirit bears witness and says, I will make a covenant with them after those days, declares the Lord, and I will put my law on their hearts and I will write it on their minds and I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. But where there is forgiveness of sins, there's no longer any offerings for sin, so don't take grace for granted. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened through the curtain of his flesh, and since we have this great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us then hold fast to our confession of faith. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Not neglecting to meet together, but drawing together as much as we can and encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. That is the call to the Christian people. What is your next step as you draw near and remembering your baptism? Let's stand and sing this song.